The answer must be no. Let me ask you a question. Did he actually say no to you? He rarely says no. He's the God of the yes and the amen. And I have come tonight to Judson to say in the Holy Spirit, God answers prayer. Listen, never assume his silence means no. If God hasn't answered your prayer yet, here's what you can safely assume that to mean. He hasn't answered your prayer yet. But never lose heart. Never back down. Never be silent until God answers the cry of your heart. So we're going to tackle tonight in this parable, Jesus tackles for us the hot button issue in prayer. And it's simply this. Why does God sometimes take forever. If you don't connect with that question, you may now be dismissed. It's the universal question, and Jesus is going to take it on. So be waiting for an answer, because I think it may encourage your heart. Verse 2. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. Jesus is describing a very evil judge who could care less about justice. All he cares about is if you have enough cash to bribe him under the table to be contrasted with your heavenly father who is a good judge, a righteous father. And But this widow is going to come to a court to try to extract justice at a seat where there is no justice. And she is a widow. Now, it's important understand Jesus frames our parable around a widow. There's been a death in the family. Her husband has died. And in those days, it was especially devastating when a husband would die because a woman would be left with maybe a small nest egg. And so we're going to assume that this widow has a small nest egg that she's gotten from her husband, and she's going to try to eke out an existence for the rest of her days. Not enough that she's bereaved or sorrowful or filled with grief. Not enough that she's vulnerable vulnerable and has no one to support her, along comes an adversary. And the adversary sees her as easy pickings. She has no husband to defend her. She's got no money for a lawsuit. And so now the adversary comes. He sees that little nest egg, and he's coming after it, and he's coming to steal, to kill and to destroy. Beloved, you have an adversary. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. He hates you, but actually, it's not really that he hates you. He hates God. But he can't get directly to God, so he comes after 
God by coming after you because the scripture says you're the apple of his eye. It's the most sensitive part of your body. How many folks know when you get something in your eye, the universe stops? And God says, when you take a hit, he says, I take it in the eye. And now the adversary has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he thought that this widow had no resource or protection. Easy to pick off. But she's got one thing. The adversary wasn't factoring in. She has a cry, and she gets herself in front of her judge, lifts her cry to her judge, and says, Get justice for me from my adversary. Beloved, when you take your stand at the throne of God and lift your cry to your heavenly judge, you are standing on the platform that rewrites human history. If you'll just stand there and never relent, never back off, never lose heart, but always lift your cry to your God, your judge one day is going to take up your case and the adversary knows it and he will do anything to get you to shut up anything to discourage your prayer life he doesn't want you praying the adversary has three primary tools that he uses to kill our prayer life distraction, temptation, and discouragement. And with those three words, I just nailed every person in the room. Which one is it for you right now? Distraction, temptation, discouragement. But the adversary will come against us to try to get us to be silent and lose heart but I'm taking my cues from my master. When the adversary came against Jesus and said to him, bend down and pick up a stone and turn it to bread, Jesus goes, I'm not bending down. I'm going to stand right here. The adversary says, well, if you'll throw yourself down from the temple and make a scene, and Jesus basically goes, I'm not throwing myself down. I'm going to stand right here. And the adversary goes, well, if you'll bow down and worship me, and Jesus is kind of like, you don't get it. I'm not going to bend down. I'm not going to throw myself down, and I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to stand right here, and having done all to stand, I'm taking my cues from the master, and I've decided to take my stand at the throne of God and never be moved. I'm going to stand in truth. I'm going to stand in righteousness. I'm going to stand in humility. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to stand in intimacy. I'm going to stand in holiness. Never lose heart. Never shut up until you get justice for me from my adversary. Verse 5. Verse 4. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, 
this blasted widow will not get off my back. Yak, 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 yak. Lady, would you stuff? It's all in the original Greek. You have to be a scholar like me to pull that out. Would somebody shove a sock in her mouth? And she's going, I've hardly started. In fact, the original language of the text indicates that this gal is going to take this thing to the very end. And so this judge is going to get justice for her, not because he cares about her. He cares about himself just to stay sane. I mean, the guy can't go anywhere. Takes his wife out for dinner, nice candlelight dinner, live music. They step onto public property and there she is. Get justice for me from my adversary. And, and you know, the, his wife is going, do something about that lady. So this judge is going to get justice for her just to satisfy his own heart. But, to, but your heavenly father is not hassled by you. He is not inconvenienced by you. The scripture says that he loves the prayer of the righteous. Your heavenly father loves it. When you set your dove's eyes on him, never looking away, always looking to, you're my only one. You're my salvation. You're my healer. You're my deliverer. When you set your eyes on him, your father in heaven is going, I love it when I'm your only source. Verse 6. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? You are the elect of God, chosen personally by your heavenly Father. He wanted you. That's why you're in the family. The word elect is a term of affection and endearment. Your heavenly Father loves you. Shall God not avenge his beloved ones, his chosen ones, his favorites? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is inherent to the question. Jesus is basically making a statement. He is saying to us, God shall avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night, never losing heart, never backing off. God answers prayer. And now we come to the, con the uh, controversial part of our parable. It's the last part of verse 7. This part 
of the parable is so controversial that even the translations have a controversy. So, depending on the translation that's in your lap tonight, I don't know what you got there, Kirk, but you might want to buckle up because I'm coming after some translations right now. Many of the translations get this part wrong, and here's why. There's a paradox in our parable. A paradox is when you have two truths that appear on the surface to clash. And when the translators bumped into the paradox of our parable, they kind of went like this, ooh, Jesus, you uh, kind of painted yourself into a corner there and contradicted yourself. And they decided to help him out. Isn't that special? So the translators did a little bit of tweaking on Jesus' words to get him out of the pickle. So depending on your translation, if you got the NIV in front of you tonight, I'm sure you're going to lose. If you got the New American Standard, buckle up, I'm coming after your Bible. If you got the message, uh, if you got the RSV, sorry. If you have the old King James Bible in front of you tonight, you're going to win. She's back there going, I knew it. The New King James also has it right. That's the translation that we've got on our screen. Here's what many of the translations do. If you have a Bible in your lap that has two question marks in verse 7, just signal at me right now. Your Bible has two questions. I see that hand. I see that hand. We'll have an altar call at the end. Okay. Many translations do this. They turn the verse into two questions to go like this. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? Question mark. Then they'll start a new sentence to something like this. Will he bear along with them? As though there's a second rhetorical question in the verse. There is no second question in the verse. It's actually a statement that follows the original question. Jesus is saying, sometimes God bears long with his elect. It's not a question, it's a statement. Has the Lord ever said to you, wait on me? I was not especially encouraged when I got that word. Because I'm like, where is this going? You're in a different time zone from me. And I'm not sure that by the time you get to answering my prayer, I'm not sure I'll still be breathing. Waiting on God. How many people in the room love fast answers? Me too. But I've learned something about fast answers. They don't change us. You might get a quick answer, but there's no real imprint in your character. And sometimes God's after some personal change. And so he'll put you in the fire and he's like, okay, here's my promise. I'm going to deliver you. But while we have you here, 
why not let's just work on a few things? And so now while you're in the crucible of waiting on God, he's going to transform you in every imaginable way. He's going to start at the beginning, just work his way the whole way through. Listen, there is nothing more transformational than unceasing prayer in the midst of pain. I'm saying that with some authority tonight. <laughs> because when you're in a trial and the pressure is on and you decide to lift your eyes to him only crying out to him day and night, you are now on the fast track. He will change everything in your life. He will change your intimacy. He will change your faith. He will change how you come to the word of God. He'll, I mean, you'll even see yourself being changed in his grace because there's nothing that is more powerful for character transformation than unrelenting prayer in the middle of a trial. Some people go, well, <clears throat> you just say you're waiting on God because that's an excuse for your laziness. Waiting on God is not for the lazy. Waiting on God will require every reserve of your soul. Waiting on God is the, it's, it's the fight of faith. It's a good fight, but it's the fight of faith. It's one of the most violent things you can possibly do. Somebody thinks waiting on God is sipping lemonade by the pool. No, that's not waiting on God. That's called sipping lemonade by the pool. Waiting on God is violent. It will take everything inside of you. But here's how I define waiting on God. Doing whatever you have to do to stay in faith. Sometimes you just have to say, can't do your party. I'm trying to stay in faith over here. Sorry, can't be a part of that one because I'm in the fight of faith. Whatever you have to do, set your eyes on your beloved. Stay in his word. Go deep in the spirit and never let go. He's going to transform you in this crucible. And before the story's finished, he'll give justice to you for your, from your adversary. I felt like the Lord asked me one time, related to this, I felt like he asked me, Bob, do you want to be healed or do you want to be changed? I was like, yes. I want the whole package. I don't think you have to choose between the two. I don't think you have to choose between the cross and the resurrection. I think you can know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and also in the power of his resurrection. And I want to know him in every way. So I'm staying in the thing until he finishes my story. I want to come back to verse 3. A little prayer in verse 3, seven words in my Bible here, 
get justice for me from my adversary. It's actually one of the most powerful prayers you can pray. And here's why. When you're crying out for justice, you are asking for two things. Number one, you are crying out for restoration. The adversary has stolen from you. He has ripped you off. It's a violation of justice. And you are crying out to God for a restoration of that which was stolen. Justice is not satisfied until there is a complete restoration of what the adversary stole from your life. But if you cry out for justice and the, because the adversary has stolen from you and then God bears long with you, now there's a second element in justice. I call it restitution. Restitution has to do with punitive damages. Not only have you been without that thing, you've been without it now for a long time. And the longer you are ripped off, the greater the damages that you sustain in every area of life. And now for the Father to give you justice in your situation, it is no longer adequate to just restore what was taken. There, Matt, there now must be restitution as well. And the restitution side of a lawsuit can sometimes give you a whole lot more than the restoration side of the lawsuit. So let me try to illustrate this from a couple people in the Bible. Joseph. The enemy stole his freedom. It was wrong. It was a violation of justice. Justice says, you've got to give Joseph his freedom back. That was wrong. Restitution goes, excuse me. You simply give Joseph his freedom back. You have not answered what this young man has lived through. Ten years in a horrific Egyptian prison. No longer enough just to give him his freedom. Joseph, you also get the throne. Another illustration. Job. The enemy stole from Job. Stole his children. Stole his livelihood. Stole his health. It was wrong. It was a violation of justice. The most blameless man on earth. And Satan stole from him. Justice demanded restoration. Restitution goes, excuse me. You just give Job back what he lost. You are not answering for what this man has come through. The horror, the pain, the suffering, the ordeal that he has come through in these months or years, however long it was, not enough just to restore his losses. You've got to do more than that. You've got to give him double his wealth. Uh, but that's not enough. You've got to heal 
you've got to give him a spiritual inheritance in every generation, uh, but that's still not enough. You've got to give him a vision of the throne. And Job is caught up in glory, and he sees his God. He says, I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Restoration and restitution. Here's one for the sisters. Elizabeth, her motherhood stolen from her. Justice says, you've got to give Elizabeth a baby. It's wrong. She's a blameless, godly woman. Give her a baby. Restitution goes, excuse me. You simply give Elizabeth a baby. You are not answering what this lady has come through. Decades of heartache, decades of tears, decades of falling asleep, wetting her pillow with her tears, the reproach, the heartache of this woman, not enough to just give Elizabeth a baby. Restitution says you got to give her more. You've got to give her a baby boy. Ah, but that's still not enough. You've got to give her a prophet. Ah, but that's still not enough. Elizabeth, you get more than a prophet. You get John the Baptist. I'm trying to open up a principle right now in the Word of God that is expressed in Proverbs 6, verse 30. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. There is as much as a sevenfold restitution that God will require of your adversary because he stole from you and then God bore long with you and now you qualify in justice not simply for restoration you now qualify for restoration and restitution here's my point Maybe God hasn't answered your prayer yet because he likes you. Maybe he's got more in his heart for you than you have for yourself. Could it be that you were thinking this, but he was thinking this, but to give you this, okay, sweetheart, I'm going to bear along with you. Don't lose heart. Keep on praying. Keep on pressing in. Keep on fighting. I'm going to bear along with you. When I bring justice to your life, it's going to come with restoration and restitution. After this happened to me, I got an email from a medical professional, a brother in Christ, who emailed me and he says, Bob, I want to recommend to you that you sue the doctor that did this. It was a, uh, a bad surgical thing on my, on my, in here, my vocal area. 
whole malpractice industry is designed to help people like you. He said, that's why we pay these premiums. You are the perfect candidate. You're not angry. You're not bitter. You're just availing yourself of the provision of the malpractice industry. You're actually not even suing the doctor. You're just suing his insurance company. And he goes, I encourage you to sue. So I took the man's advice and I sued. I filed a lawsuit but not in any earthly court. I filed a lawsuit in a heavenly court. If you think that I want a measly million bucks, I'm in this thing for a whole lot more than a lousy million dollars. I'm in it for restoration and restitution. And I have submitted my lawsuit to heaven and I will never let go until you get justice for me from my adversary. Well, let's finish our parable, verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Wait a second. He just finished telling us in verse 7 that sometimes he bears long with them. And now in verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Here's our paradox. This is the paradox that got the translators in trouble. Which one is it? Does he bear long with us? Or does he answer us speedily? Well, I've looked pretty hard at this paradox, and I'm going to give you my best answer. You can test drive it, see how it fits for you. Sometimes God bears long with us to avenge us speedily. Sometimes he'll take forever, but when he gets to taking up your case and comes to bring justice to your case, you might want to buckle up because it's going to come down speedily. Abraham, you might want to fasten your seatbelt, bro, because when God comes and visits you, it's going to come down speedily. Jacob, you might have to wait till you're 130 years old, but when God visits you, it's going to come crashing on your head in one day. Joseph, okay, hang in there, bro, for 10 years. When I bring justice to you, you're going to go in one day from the prison to the palace. Anna, Hang in there, sweetheart. Keep on praying because one day you're going to hold in your hands the very Messiah for whom you have prayed. Beloved, this principle is over and over and over in the Bible. Noah waits 500 years in a flood. It's over and over. This is how God often works with his favorites. It's not true for everyone in the Bible, but it's true for some of our greatest heroes. A period of time 
years, talk to Moses about this, a period of time for years where God will take you through a journey, refining, purifying, changing, transforming. And when he's ready to bring justice, it comes speedily. It's almost like he's into the drama. Well, I am too. <laughs> and I'm trying to set myself up to give him the biggest chance he can have to do something dramatic with my story because he is the king of drama. When I think about the speedily of God, I could illustrate this with a number of places in the scripture. But when I think about how God answers speedily, I just kind of got it in my heart tonight to talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. How many have heard about the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Bible? It's a week during which the Jews were required to get all the leaven, all the yeast out of their homes and eat only bread that had no yeast, no leaven in it. Seven days. And God was kind of intense about it. When you read Leviticus, the Lord is like, no leaven anywhere. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to see it. Get it out. And you're kind of like, why the energy on the leaven thing? Well, I'd like to try to give you an answer to that. For 400 years, the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, crying out to God, God, deliver us, God, save us, God, help us, get us out of this thing. And for 400 years, God bore long with them. But when God finally delivered them from Egypt, it came down so fast. You know the story of the 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 firstborn that were all killed in the land and Pharaoh throws them out of the nation so fast that the Bible says they didn't have time to even put yeast in their dough. Quick. Now, I make my own bread just what I do. I'm, I, I actually grind my own flour. You should come and try it sometime. I grind my own flour. I, I do like this. I got a big bowl and I make three loaves at a time. It's good wheat bread. I know approximately how much time it adds to the process to put yeast in your bread. It's what? 10 minutes, 15 minutes max to put yeast in the thing. They were in such a hurry to get out of Egypt that they didn't even have a spare 15 minutes to put yeast in their bread. You might have to wait 400 years for it, but when God steps into action, beloved, you now have the God of the universe fighting on your behalf, taking up your case, and when Almighty God picks up your case, hang.
hang on for dear life because it's going to happen speedily. They were delivered from Egypt so speedily that the Lord says, I don't want you to ever forget this. I want you to commemorate it every year. Every time they ate unleavened bread, they were reminded we had to leave Egypt so fast. We didn't even have time to put yeast in our bread. And God says, I don't want you ever to forget how speedily I delivered you from your enemies. And so now we eat unleavened bread when we take communion. Well, Maybe it's unleavened, but that's the tradition that was passed to us when we receive communion. The unleavened bread means the exact same thing for us today. For thousands of years, our planet was crying out to God for salvation. And in one weekend, the whole world was saved because of Calvary. And when we take the bread, we are celebrating a God who saves speedily. Therefore, do not lose heart. Do not give up. Do not be silent. In fact, be like our little widow. Turn the fire up seven times hotter. You will never hear the end of it. I will never give up until you get justice for me from my adversary. Why don't you you take that little seven-word prayer from Jesus? Seven sweet words in red ink in your Bible. Why don't you put that one into your prayer belt as well and pray the prayer Jesus gave us to pray. Get justice for me from my adversary. The enemy has stolen from me, and I'm asking you now for restoration and restitution. Beloved, I have come tonight in the Holy Spirit to try to speak to your heart and encourage you in prayer. Never cease, never relent. Always lift your cry to your God. I wrote this on the airplane as I was on my way today. Holding a promise doesn't make you relax in prayer, but ramp up your prayers. Because when you have a promise from God, now you've got something to leverage in the spirit. You said it, and I'm never going to let you alone until you fulfill your promise in my life and get justice for me from my adversary. Would you stand with me, please? I want to close in a prayer. And as I close in this prayer, if you have connected with this message in any way, and if you're identifying with my prayer, just do something to show the Lord your connection. You can open a hand. Just do something to indicate your response to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I bless this congregation tonight. I thank you for the privilege of sharing my heart with them and opening the word of God. And I am asking, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen 
strengthen every weak knee, that you would lift every hand that has fallen down, that you would strengthen the heart of your beloved people to pray and always pray and never lose heart. Father, we are setting our faces tonight against every distraction, against every temptation, against the power of discouragement, and something inside of us is saying, I'm going to take my stand at the throne of God, and I'm going to lift my cry to you, never losing heart, never giving up, until you get justice for me, from my adversary. Abba, would you give us stories in this room of men and women that will endure in their trial, uncover a testimony, and will have a, 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 a testimony to the glory of your name. He got justice for me from my adversary. Restoration, restitution, and may it come speedily to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May Jesus strengthen your prayer life. God bless you.